Season 1, Episode 22 of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for your life and mission. I am Aaron Santemeyer, and I will be your host. Today, we have the great opportunity to, to begin with another segment of Back Channel with Foth. And Dick, we're so glad to have you with us today. Delighted. Here I am. Today, we have some uh, two more questions from listeners that have sent in. And uh, the first question is this. Part of your role in life has included investing in the spiritual and character development in a variety of walks of life and positions of influence in, in, in D.C. What are some of your thoughts on how to succeed in investing in, that, investing in others in that kind of development and that kind of environment? I think when you're thinking about investing in leaders, for example, whatever town or whatever city you're in, just understand that leaders are lonely, not because they have to make decisions. I'm talking to leaders, right? I'm talking to people scattered around the globe who lead at some level. Uh, Leadership is not hard because you have to make decisions. Leaders hard, leadership is hard because you don't know who to trust. So if you were to think about your community or your arena and say, who are the people in this area who are conveners? And by that, I mean, if they called a meeting, people would come from across the disciplines or across the ethnicities or the religious uh, purviews, they would come. If there's an opportunity to meet one of those persons or to meet the person who has the ear of one of those persons, because the person who has the ear, the chief of staff, just to use an example, they carry great weight as well. That person carries great weight. If there is a way to spend a little time and befriend a person, you can be a great, uh, source of help not for any utility to yourself not for any benefit to yourself this is not business networking where i'm meeting aaron so i can really meet fred farkle you know i'm I'm going through aaron to get to fred it's not that yeah it's it's the idea that that jesus says it this way he he talks about friendship this way and there are two words for friend in the new testament one means colleague or partner And that's the word that Jesus used with Judas in the garden. Friend, do what you have to do. But dearly loved is the other word. And Jesus in John 15 describes love in friendship terms. I always thought that friend was watered down, sort of watered down love. But he Mm -hmm. says, no greater love has anyone than this, than than one lays down one's life for one's friend. Mm -hmm. Well, that, that, you know, throws everything into a cock hat. Wait, I yeah. mean, you, as they used to say, I, it, it's just the idea of friendship, especially if, if you're in leadership, is a real treasure. Um, and so w- when you talk about influencing or discipling or nurturing, <clears throat> I would encourage you not to think in terms of dozens, hmm. or even in terms of tens. Dawson Trotman was the founder of Navigators years ago after the Second World War, and a friend of his who was discipled, I put that in quotes, discipled by Dawson Trotman, and those of you who know the Navigators know they're really invested in Scripture and Scripture memorization. My friend asked him the question, how many people do you think you've, you've discipled over the years? 
And uh, at first he said, you know, maybe a hundred. Then he said, no, 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 maybe, maybe 25 and eight. And finally he said, probably two or three. Wow. Probably two or three. This is not, um, nurturing of others is not about numbers. It's about moments hmm. or seasons going deep with a few. Friend in DC used to say, if you want to go around the world, go deep with a few. Hmm. Leaders need someone to trust. And if you can be that person without an agenda for them, yeah. just, have, just have that person's agenda, trying yeah. to help them in their lives. I think that's the place to start. Wow. Good wisdom. And um, from someone who has experience, you know it. I'm going to segue on. I'm going to add a question to that person's question. You talked about moments, those moments. Yes. How do you become keenly aware of those moments? You know, I, uh, my friend Batterson that you've had on here, he, he, uh, he says life is not a succession of minutes. It, it's a succession of moments. And um, I'm not sure that I've always known the moments at the moment. Hmm. Sometimes, well, you know this, you'll be in a situation and you'll walk out and something has happened totally unexpected. And you look back and somebody says, wow, that, that was a moment. Yeah. Um, and I think that a, that a moment is different than a minute in this regard, hmm. that when it is infused with meaning, that is somehow connected to the eternal. Hmm. Uh, that, has, that has such gravitas and such merit that... Um, we just need to be aware of it. And sometimes it's just, it's just really a momentary conversation. It, yeah. could, be, it could be one sentence. Yeah. And so for us to be open to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives so we don't miss the meaning, uh, that's powerful. I, I was in Washington, at the uh, Washington, D.C. and went to see a three-star general at the Pentagon one time. And, and folks need to understand, I'm a kid from East Oakland, California. My military experience <laughs> is one semester of Air Force ROTC at Cal Berkeley, which is like a philosophy. I don't even count. But, but I'm with this three-star. And these people live their lives in 15-minute increments when they're at that yeah. leadership level. And I walked in, and people are bringing him signing papers. He's doing stuff, and I'm there. And we just have a moment to say, how are you doing? How are the, how's the family? And a, a brief scripture and just a quick prayer. And as I got up to leave, I said, General, um, I'm really sorry for interrupting your day. I mean, you, obviously, you're going crazy with all this stuff. And he said, uh, he said Dick, just, just hold that thought right there. You need to understand that this has been the most important 15 minutes of my week. Hmm. And at that, you, you're supposed to snap to attention, salute, and say, yes, sir. Yeah. I respect that. So <laughs> yeah. Good. Good, 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 good stuff. Second question. You have ministered successfully um, for many years. What are some keys to serving effectively in ministry without burning out? Well, for starters, I think I know what it's like to burn out. I think at the end of my uh, presidency at Bethany College, 14 years, I was burned out. I, I, I was too proud to call it that. I said, well, I'm just tired. You know, I, yeah. <laughs> the average tenure of a college president at that time 
in the United States was seven years hmm. and I stayed 14. So it takes some guys twice as long to get it. <laughs> so, so knowing what burnout feels like, I would say this life has different seasons and it has different intensity and focuses. Um, pastoring is different than presidenting. Presidenting is different than life coaching is different than publishing is different than whatever. Um, Hal Lehman was, was a missionary in West Africa, what they used to call the Gold Coast back in the day. I think it's Ghana, essentially, uh, for many, many years, 35 years. And he said it was a wonderful day in his life when he woke up realizing, so, sort of revelationally, that he was not working for God. He was working with God. Hmm. When Jesus says, come and put my yoke upon you, my, my yoke is easy. Come over here. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Let's do this thing together. There's something about that idea that helps you be more effective. Uh, my friend, uh, Richard Halverson, who was chaplain of the Senate in 1993 when I went to D.C., I said, how do you look at life? And we're standing, you know, looking out down the National Mall in D.C. from the Capitol. And he said, you know, some years ago, I started saying to Jesus every morning, well, Jesus, what are you doing? What are you doing today in this town? Can I come and do that with you? Mm. There's something about that. So that's one thing. Second thing that would help avoid burnout is understanding your function. I think I spent 35 years in ministry, maybe not quite that long, maybe 25 years, thinking, and I don't know exactly where I got this, except in the, in the arena in which I worked, you had to send in reports. None of these missionaries around the world have to send in reports, of course. <laughs> That's tongue-in-cheek, friends. Uh, and, and so there's this sense in which we feel responsible for outcomes. Hmm. I mean, we feel that with our children. Yeah. And it takes years for us to figure out, you know, I'm not. Everybody has free choice here. So the day I realized, and, and I was in my 50s, that I wasn't responsible for outcomes. I was responsible for inputs. Hmm. And if I'm in it with God, he's responsible for outcomes as long as my inputs are aligned with him. So that's another piece. The third piece is to understand that my greatest mission and greatest challenge is not the country I'm living in or not the people group I'm working with or the arena that I feel responsible for. The greatest mission field I have is the five and a half inches between my ears. Hmm. I need... I need to learn to think correctly in alignment with who God is and what he's about in the world. And then finally, I'd say, don't apologize for Sabbaths. For many of us in ministry and mission work, Sunday ain't one. Whatever mm. it is, it ain't yeah. Sabbath, right? Yeah. Um, my muscles need Sabbath. That's why if you're a person who works out, you work out muscle groups every other day because they have to have a chance to work. Yeah. Your minds need it. Your emotions need it. And our challenge is we create systems and structures for which we feel centric, excuse me, for, for which we feel central to the mm -hmm. enterprise. If we don't do this, 
It's gonna, and I just, I just have a word for you, if you feel that. If you die, whatever it is you're in, it'll go on. Hmm. <laughs> That's for an upper at the end of the question. Oh, <laughs> man. Word of a word of encouragement to end our uh, segment back channel with both. So appreciate your wisdom and insight um, today, um, Dick, and uh, looking forward to next time. Today we're going to okay. go ahead and jump into our interview with uh, Cynthia Gandhi Dobbs, and we will be talking about life and leadership and uh, her journey um, from India to the United States and um, what God is, how God is using her in her place of ministry today. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. It's so exciting today to be on the Clarity Podcast with a special guest that comes highly recommended. And uh, we've got a few minutes to chat before we start him. We're here today with Cynthia Gandhi Dobbs. And um, we just got to know each other through Facebook and Messenger. And as I said, she's been recommended. And we're going to talk um, today, um, just have a transparent conversation. Cynthia, will you go ahead and share a little bit about yourself with the audience um, for those that might not know you? Sure. Thank you, Aaron. Um, so as you may have picked up from the middle name, I am originally from India. I grew up in South India. I was born there and kind of hobbled all over India uh, because of my parents' work. They were both uh, working in the law field. My dad was a diplomat, and that's really what brought me to the United States. So about uh, the time I was ready to go to college, he was appointed as a legal ambassador for India to the UN. And so we ended up in New York where uh, at church, I met a Chi Alpha missionary who was trying to start Chi Alpha and uh, we became friends. Uh, we, he didn't really have a, you know, a, a group started quite yet. And, and uh, as we started working together and establishing Chi Alpha in New York, uh, that, that's actually my husband right now. We, we met, we fell in love, we uh, got together and now I'm doing Chi Alpha for life. I did not think this would be the path for life. <laughs> But this, is, this yeah. is kind of how the Lord has directed my, my path. So, yeah, I, I grew up thinking um, that I would be someone who, who worked in the medical field, maybe as a researcher in uh, biochemistry, or maybe someone that worked on an oncology ward, because I had this mm. great ambition to vanquish cancer. Uh, that was yeah. one of the most pivotal experiences in my life, was losing my mom when I was 12 years old in India. And... Mm. Um, I was born into a family of faith and my mom was the one that taught me about Jesus. And she was kind of this Pentecostal, uh, fire breathing, you know, woman yeah. of God, you know, and I can, you could just really, when, when my mom prayed and she opened her mouth, you can kind of feel heaven open up and in the presence of God, this in a place. And I wanted to know that God, that's how I got to uh, experience God for the first time in my life. And so when she passed away, it just kind of brought up all these question marks and doubts and, and you know, the, the problem of pain and uh, doubts on whether God is good or evil that we maybe wrestle at later times in our life happened for me at a very young age and God proved to be faithful while I wrestled with all yeah. of those things and, and continued just his extravagant pursuit of me and made yeah. it known, hey, I, I've marked you to be a missionary and that's what I want you to do with life. So. Yeah, here we are. Amazing. Amazing. And so 
you talked about the impact that your mom had on on your life. Did in walking through that time of questions you had for God, is God good? Why did this happen? Did that help you in the transition when you said that you you felt that you were going to be a doctor or biochemistry or whatever your major was? And then when you heard God calling you, did that help you make that other transition because you had already wrestled with those things early in life? Um, yes, in a way, and no. I think, you know us human beings, or specifically me, we're very obstinate creatures, you know, God could tell you something in multiple <laughs> different ways. And you're just like, trying to do the least amount possible to get away with like, okay, this is obedience, you know what I mean? Um, but it, it was, he's so gracious in, in the sense that he didn't just show all of his plans immediately over one vision or one prophetic word, it was just a slow revelation of the direction, because I honestly think if he had shown me everything at the beginning, I would have probably done the Jonah thing and, and ran in the opposite yeah. direction, you know, and um, yeah. still sometimes I just look at the task at hand and, and just the calling and it, it uh, kind of scares the living daylights out of me, you know, because, <laughs> you know, it's, it's the same Jesus who takes that powerful gospel and puts it in the hand of fishermen. And I, I know that that yeah. gospel is in my hands and it just humbles me enormously going, wow, God, you know me, I can't, I can't believe you would choose me. How, how, how is anyone even possibly qualified to do what we do, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was a slow process, but um, one thing I, I've kind of realized with the Lord is, you know, we, we're talking about clarity over here. Understanding doesn't always come at the beginning of obedience. It comes at the end of obedience. So hmm. many times when, when God is asking us to follow him in a certain way, he doesn't really give the whole map or the pathway to the follow. Um, some people he does, I think. I think some people, visionaries that I've met sometimes would just tell me about how God has shown them which mountain to take and, and what route to take. And the way the Holy Spirit speaks to me, he, he says, okay, Cynthia, put your left shoe on, you know, that's it yeah. for today. And, and, yeah. and I think it's because it's really protective in his direction of us because he knows our personalities and how we're going to react to instructions. And, and with me, mm. for sure, I think it was a slow relation and um, to the transitions in ministry. Yeah. And where did you find, where do you find the courage then to make those? Because you said when you, it's easy, I think, in obedience. I had a friend tell me one time, he said, you know, if Aaron, if you have to understand it all, it's really not obedience. It's you logically understanding it and getting to that point. So the obedience, but a lot of times for me, honestly, having to have the obedience takes courage. Where do you find that source of strength and courage to follow God and to make those, as you said, from India to New York, New York to Oklahoma, how did you, how did you find the courage to make those, to follow God in obedience when you couldn't see the end? I think one is definitely my mom's example, because, you know, all the way to her dying breath, there was just this faith that was unshakable that no matter what happens, God's God and he's good. And um, yeah. just in the face of adversity, um, obeying, like, like even in, acting counterculturally, you know, and in a, she was a judge in India and where there was corruption mm -hmm. right around her, she would refuse to participate in it and, and stand up as a woman in India too, uh, against these societal forces that were pushing back on her. And it was mostly all that courage came when she got on her knees, you know, and I was kind of observing this yeah. as a young child and, and not, um, in a way there was no compromise, you know, there was no going back because she was more afraid of breaking God's heart then she was a uh, sin, you know, that's kind of where, and I didn't mm. realize this, it's all just like me growing up and thinking back over 
you know, her life and, and how she lived and, and wondering why did you, why would someone behave that way? And it's, it's really that. It was just that strong relationship with Jesus, that intimacy with God that um, gave her courage, you know, to walk through the hard things. Yeah. But also in my own life, I've just noticed, you know, God is so faithful. I mean, it is unbelievable how God can take like our tiny begrudging obedience and then make something out of it. It just blows my mind how God takes just that, the little bit that we know and we hear, you know, that whole obedience that, that even comes from a reluctant heart, he can take that and, and he doesn't waste any of our experiences, even stuff that we decide we're going to go pursue in, in, in uh, an opposite direction of what his direction for us is. He somehow takes those things and, and uses it um, in our life and doesn't put any of our pain to waste. He doesn't put any of our experience to waste. He doesn't waste any of our time we're always looking around going like, God, why are you making me wait? And and God's on the other side going, why are you making me wait? You know, I wish you would mature yeah. and grow up with the, uh, yeah. in the fertile soil I've planted you, you know? So I think courage for me comes from that, but I've also had seasons in my life where, you know, there's legitimate fear when you're going through seasons of transition on what's going to happen on the other end. And for me, at least I've noticed 90% of the time, those are identity issues. You know, we, we start wondering, hmm. Am I going to be the same person on the other side? Am I going to have, um, for lack of a better term, the influence that I had in the previous season? Um, or am I going to have better influence than I had in the previous season? And all of that comes to kind of a point of resolution when you remember that, that your identity is never going to change in Jesus. It's, it's just the same. Your titles may change. You know, all leadership yeah. is temporary. And, and so it, yeah. it may change. But who you are to God as his son or his daughter never changes. So why should we be so anxious about the transitions? It's not really a transition if you think about it. It's a slow walk in the garden with your father. And, and what could really go wrong? Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah, those types of thoughts maybe kind of help. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. And that's a great way. That's a great perspective to look at it. And interesting you say that our fear comes from the the identity part and how much we hold on to that identity. And that's a, that could be a podcast in and of itself. Um, I think if we, we talked about, um, talked about that in the present, who are you learning from? Um, you're, you're leading, you're leading in Chi Alpha and you're in the, what areas are you learning and growing in your personal leadership development? That's a really good question. And honestly, I, I have like this hodgepodge group of people that I learned from, um, some of them are have been gone for decades and, and they are in glory. Um, so yeah. I kind of listen to their um, sermons on YouTube yeah. or like Raven Hill yeah. comes to mind. It's, he's a huge influence in a way. And it, it kind of gives the, you an idea of like how someone could mentor you uh, electronically, even after they've been long gone, you know. Mm. Um, but but yeah. contemporarily, I think uh, Jody Dietrich is is a huge uh, mentor and, and kind of a mother in the faith. Um, I think when, when I was wrestling with all the women in ministry considerations and questions, the Lord really brought Jody into my life. And she had written a book called The Jesus-Hearted Woman, and it just so ministered mm -hmm. to my heart. And so she's a huge influence in my life. So I kind of, whenever those transitional questions come, I get on the phone and, and kind of throw out, yeah. Hey, this is what's going on in my life. You know, tell me what yeah. I should do about this. And again, you know, it's kind of talking to you about the faithfulness of God. A lot of my mentors, believe it or not, are about the same age as my mom and they mm. take up the spot. You know, it's, it's like, yeah, he's just, again, so faithful to the uttermost because you could wonder like, how do you, God 
redeems everything. How do you redeeming how how do you redeem losing a mom? And well, you yeah. you multiply the mothers in a person's life, and that's really what he has done yeah. in my life. And so, man, I, I can name so many names that are in the lineage, yeah. and and I think with with mentorship specifically. I have mentors in the church that are not famous at all, but they are so famous mm-hmm. in heaven because they have uh, yeah. seen the face of the Lord in, in, in so many ways yeah. in their life. And, and so yeah. those are some of the most cherished mentorship relationships, you know, in my life. When, when you're looking for a mentor and um, maybe there's somebody maybe in the similar life season that you are, what are some things when you're looking for a mentor, you said God has brought him into your life, but are, are there certain characteristics you're looking for? two or four in somebody to say, Hey, I want you to spiritually walk with me and encourage me and let me learn from you. That's a fantastic question. Yes. I've considered that question for a long time in my life because I I had as a very young minister in my early twenties, this idea that you're going to get like one Elijah and you're going to follow that person for the rest of your life. It also comes from my Indian background because you, you know, you see like people apprenticing, uh, apprenticing and under other people. And, and that's yeah. it. You know what I mean? You take over for that person. And I've noticed that's not how it works in, in faith these days, at least. Um, I think there are yeah. certain people that God uses to mold your life in a greater fashion than others. So I kind of look at the ways in which God is growing me in the season. And then I ask the Lord specifically, God, whom should I be learning from? And then reach out to them and, and see, if they have any sense, any, any, um, reciprocity to that. And, and yeah. if they have, then yeah, we start a relationship and in whatever manner they could mentor me, I usually show up to those places with questions and ask them questions mm-hmm. and they kind of help me kind of coach and mentor me through that. And they are very, they're, uh, people from the Assemblies of God. There's people, there are other denominations that I respect and value very much, but the way I look at it is, uh, for my core competency as a minister is communication is, is kind of where mm-hmm. God's kind of putting his finger on in this season, at least. So I need people that can teach me how to steward my speaking voice and, and how to yeah. uh, steward my writing well. And so I kind of seek out those people, the spiritually speaking, one of my lifelong pursuits is to learn how to pray better and, and how to press into the presence of God more. So I, I lean towards trying to find those whose prayer life is vibrant and, and who have prayed over me or have spoken prophetically over me. And there's already a resonance there where God has drawn me to their attention. And I take note of those things. When God brings you to someone's attention, it's for a purpose. And, and so kind of begin um, a process of questioning. How did you get to be the way you are in prayer? You know, what, yeah. what were some practices? Yeah. And so, so those are some ways in which I don't know if that, clarifies. No, that's great. No, that's great. And so you're leading in Chi Alpha, you, you and your husband. So then you're, you're getting your cup full or filled from a mentor. And then I assume you're using, you're pouring that cup out then into the people you're leading. Is that correct? So true. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And so what, what excites you as you look at the, the generation, you know, I'm 43, I'm telling you how old I am. And, um, you know, if there's a, the distance between me and the, that generation is, is growing. And so what excites you, uh, as you minister and work and lead and mentor, um, the college age generation, what, what excites you about, um, that generation? Oh, wow. I mean, so many things excite me about this generation, but honestly, from heaven's perspective, I almost feel like God has been waiting for a generation such as this, because we 
look at mm. them and, and we sometimes devalue them because of certain attributes of this generation. But as always, our greatest weaknesses are also our greatest strengths. This is a generation that is not, uh, that doesn't put value in buying houses or settling down. They are kind of um, mm. unhooked in a way. So they are more mobile. So previous mm -hmm. generations, maybe we'd have to talk to them about laying down that ambition of getting married and, and having a family and, and buying a home. And that's not the case with this generation. They are so mobile. You know, Jesus calls them the minute they make the decision to when they actually get on the field is such a narrow window. You know, um, yeah. they are extravagant in their love for the people around them. They have this sense of the global community a lot greater than uh, previous generations before. It's not just me and myself, but, but just that idea that they as a person can change society is, is in this generation. So I, my goodness, I just think of them and I just see the opportunity God has given us in this generation. I truly think that they will be the generation that sees this next great awakening and will bring it home, you know? So I have great hope yeah, for them. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. And so what are a few things that you're trying to model as you lead? What are a few things you're trying to model for that generation as they're looking up to you spiritually and you're mentoring and coaching and walking through them through life and ministry um, as you minister to them? What are a few things that you're trying to model to them? I, I think a big one is just being intimate with Jesus. And there are no short, shortcuts to that. It's, it's just your journey and how much responsibility you take for your walk with the Lord and I think sometimes because of skill or talent, it is easy for us to prematurely launch someone out into ministry who has not formed hmm. that core competency of being in love with the Lord. Um, I think that hmm. is a big place that, that would be a good one to model to our students. Um, that's one. And with our students who are women specifically, just the courage to you know, say yes to Jesus, whether you get opportunities or not, and then sort that out later, you know, but, but say yes to Jesus first, because if he called you, he's got a plan. And, and when the right time comes, he will put you in the places that he needs to put you in, but, but say yes to Jesus first. And, and yeah. so not being reluctant, um, yes, sayers to the Lord, but, but being enthusiastic, yes, sayers to the Lord and discipleship is another, uh, thing that I'm so, um, focused on in this season specifically, because we can't just convert people. We don't want converts. We want disciples. You know, we want true disciples. We want people that don't mm. just declare the kingdom of God. We want people that have the capacity to demonstrate the kingdom of God. And that goes back to your prayer life. If your prayer life is weak, then all you can do is just talk about it and not actually demonstrate the power of the kingdom of God, you know? Um, so yeah. those are some things that. Yeah. And so it, you, just to go back, you talked about launching people, seeing people's giftings and talents and maybe them launching into ministry, maybe prematurely before they have that intimacy with Jesus. Are there cer certain things? How do you how do you not measure that? But how do you what some signs that you see it will look for? Because I've seen that myself, people that would launch out into ministry and then it ends up not not so well um, for them and, and, and their family and the ripples effect are large. So is there certain things you look for as you're seeing and balancing that skills and talents with that, that maybe that spiritual gifting or that spiritual maturity? Yeah. So the way I look at discipleship, it's, it's really spiritual parenting, you know, discipleship is in succinct words, spiritual parenting. And, and I think of how I parent my son who is 14 years old right now. And, and there are times when I know um, he's ready for responsibility. And, and so I give him that responsibility and, and 
sometimes even knowing that he's probably going to mess up that responsibility, but I want him to try it out to see how that responsibility feels in his hands. In Kayafa, we mm. believe in real responsibility. It's important for a person to have that in their hand and see if they are able to do that or not. But when they fail, not just revealing or opening up from the mentorship perspective, the skill that they lack, but the places where they should have stopped and asked the Lord, what should I have done here? You know, and kind of revealing yeah. that to them. So it's not that you don't give them opportunity to go and um, take responsibility. It's that you give them opportunity to take responsibility, but you walk close with them and kind of help them uh, diagnose the situation a little bit and, and help yeah. them grow in that um, is, is kind of a way that, that we would do that. Yeah. And so you then as the leader then and the coach, then your identity then has to be based in Christ. Cause you talked about that earlier, your, your identity is based in Christ, whether that person, cause I think sometimes in leadership, we're so tied to how that's going to look when our reputation or I, our identity, if the people were leading, maybe it, they fumble the ball or something like that. But if you what you're saying is if our identity is grounded in Christ, it doesn't, we're able to walk with people even through those difficult times. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I also think, you know, you kind of, you also look at what is going to benefit the person that you're discipling. I think we need to be people focused in our discipleship as we are God oriented, you know, we're kind of listening for his voice and walking with him intimately and asking God all the time, God, what are you doing in this person's life? Am I helping what you're doing or am I completely botching it up? You know, what should I be yeah. doing with this person? And, and sometimes God would, and I've been astonished. Uh, sometimes God would uh, instruct me to give some type of main major responsibility to someone who is a baby Christian. And I would be confounded at the, you know, instruction. But like I said earlier, sometimes understanding comes at the end of obedience and I've just seen yeah. God use people in mind-blowing ways or at least reveal to them their incapacity in that spot early on in their walk of faith so they may rely on, rely on the Lord so they can build up that competency. But but I think we, we look at um, whether the responsibility or the thing that we're in, in leadership we're inviting a leader into is going to ultimately help or hurt them. And, and I uh, mm. use the word hurt in, in two ways, whether it's a hurt or an injury, right? Um, so if, mm -hmm. if I, if I just uh, slap someone, you know, it, it hurts a tiny bit, right? It's, it's more yeah. of a hurt to their pride than anything else. But if someone drops off a two foot story building, it's an injury. And so as a mm. discipler, I need to protect them from permanent damage, which is injury, but not hurts. I think mm. things that push back on your pride are miracle grow for your relationship with the Lord and for leadership. So I just, when I see those types of things happening previously, I used to protect them. Now I just, you know, take my hands off a little bit and, and allow for things to play out. And then on the other side of it, when they're looking for answers, be available to help make sense of the situation, you know? Yeah, no, that's great. That's great. And so, um, Obviously, if you've we moved from India, you lost your mom at a young age. You moved from India to New York and New York to Oklahoma. You are a resilient um, person. And so how have you how have you grown in your resiliency and how do you maintain and maintain that resiliency in life and in mission? Yeah, that's a very good question. I think there are there's scriptures that definitely come to mind when I think of resiliency. Um, you know, that, that Joshua scripture that talks about courage, you know, have I not commanded you yeah. to be strong and courageous? And recently, when we were going through a major transition in life, we just wrapped up a season, almost a decade of ministry in Oklahoma State University, Chi Alpha, and um, 
we're moving to Tulsa metro area where there's over a dozen good target campuses to kind of do a metro model Chi Alpha. At the same time, I was invited to be part of a national uh, Chi Alpha team. And, and so I said mm -hmm. yes to that and, and writing opportunities were opening up and, and speaking opportunities were opening up. It was, it was kind of a season of exposure but mm -hmm. at the same time, without much instruction from the Lord on what I'm supposed to do, you know, do with the exposure. Yeah. And I was just, yeah. you know, struggling with how do I put the right foot forward, God? And, and it was such a good season, honestly. On the on the other side of it, it was a great season. While I was going through it, I just wanted to be out of it as soon as I possibly could. But, <laughs> but in that season, you know, God pointed out that Joshua scripture and he said, you know, courage is not a recommendation on my part, Cynthia. Courage is a command. You know, I've commanded you hmm. to be courageous. It's it it's not something that you have to summon up. It's a it's also obedience. You know, being courageous is part of being obedient to the Lord. And yeah. when I had that epiphany, I just kind of even if I'm taking trembling, shaky steps towards things that God has assigned for me to do, I have a responsibility to be courageous because that's part of His command towards me. So I think that is one yeah. thing that um, helps have strength as a Christian leader, because we we're not looking at the next best thing or what the world is chasing or the best marketing advice or the best, you know, health advice from from the yeah. those fields. We're looking for all of these advice from our God. And he says so much yeah. about resiliency in scripture. So I pick up those scriptures that are instructional words from him to me that mm. that tell me in that season on what I'm supposed to be doing to maintain my resiliency and I just memorize those scriptures and keep them in front of me all the time. So that's yeah, one way that's awesome. um, in which that's awesome. I do that. Another thing is, is being real with people that are around you when you're vulnerable uh, with people that are around you. Mm. I don't think that that circle needs to be so huge that all of your Facebook feed needs to know everything that's going on with you. But <laughs> those trusted people that are mentors that, that pray for you, um, your prayer team, the team that surrounds you in prayer, for them to know if you're struggling with a place where you feel like you're going to fall apart, to let them know this is what's going on with me and allowing them an opportunity to pray over you and kind of help you gather up the pieces is important. I think in, in even in this pandemic that we're noticing with the COVID pandemic that's going on in our, our world right now, the greater pandemic is actually the pandemic of panic. It's not necessarily, mm. there. there's of course legitimately viruses going around, but just the way in which our you know, mind has attached itself to the um, fallout from that whole thing, yeah. you know, and, and we choose what we set our mind on and we need to cast all imaginations aside and set it on what Jesus says yeah. um, is true about our circumstance. And all of those things, you know, just guarding your mind against those things is so, so important. And, and trusting the yeah. Lord and not just using, uh, you know, Bible verses as, as, you know, trite, here's a piece of candy to people, but truly right. the living word that, that has the capacity to give me life and, and give me strength and imbue steel in my bones so I can set my yeah. face like flint against any opposition. Because God said, you know, that that's what gives us courage yeah. as Christians. It's not what I said or you said, but God said, so I've got to do exactly. this anyway, you know? Exactly. Yeah, no, that's great. How did circling back? How did you you talked about sharing with people you trust? How have you learned to find people that you trust, and how do you know if you can trust them? Because I think that some of the 
the concern of vulnerability is that if I'm with vulnerable with maybe somebody I can't trust and specifically my experience has been, you know, sometimes men in leadership, they, they could, you know, it's, there seems to be two standards and I'm not for that obviously, but sometimes if women are vulnerable, it can almost be used against them if they're vulnerable in leadership versus men. It, you know, we kind of seem to cover it up. Have you found that? And how do you find the people that you can trust? I, I go back to that mentorship question. You know, there's, if there is a group of people that are on your side that have been established as people that are on your side, it's a safe group to share almost anything with. And it, yeah. it, there's also wisdom in the way you trust people with information. You can start out by um, giving them you know, small amount of information on what's going on with you and see how they respond to that and how that trust mm -hmm. was kept. But the only way to establish mm -hmm. uh, trust is to give it to someone, you know, it's, it's yeah. then see what they do with it. And if they, they yeah. keep trust, then they are trustworthy and then you can give them more trust. Yeah. I think that's one thing. And, yeah. and sometimes in my prayer time, when I'm struggling with something hard, I just ask the Lord God, who can help me? Which one of your sons or daughters do you have wisdom positioned for this you know who do I go talk to you yeah. know give me some person I can go speak with you know that would guide me in this and yeah. the Holy Spirit is so faithful he just like would pop someone in your mind and you haven't spoken to them in 200 years and uh sure enough the day you text them is the day that they're ready to give you a word you know and it's amazing how he works yeah. so kind yeah. of following the Lord in in even that type of mentorship and and I think we have to overcome some of our insecurities you know one thing I have noticed about the kingdom of God that is that it's a team sport it's 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 not it's not an individual sport none of us are going to succeed it's a relay race I'm going to do my part during my time and hopefully hand the torch on to someone else that's going to carry it out all the way to kingdom come so we are so interdependent on the body and and hmm we have to trust the body like this is our people we've got to trust one another yeah. you know so asking God to reveal those people that are trustworthy before us in, in then sharing it with them, you know, that's good. That's good. That's good. What advice would you give, um, to female leaders? And you talked about, you went through this season recently where, you know, at this exposure where it just seemed like opportunities were coming at you right and left and you had a lot of opportunities. What advice would you give to maybe a, a female leader or any leader that feel like they're in a they're in a season where it's not exposure and um, they feel like they're they're working for God and um, no one's noticing and they're really struggling? Um, would you have any advice or wisdom for somebody maybe that's in that season of life? Yeah, well, our assumption that nobody is noticing is extremely incorrect. Someone is noticing hmm. all the time, hmm. and that's the only one that should notice. And so, yeah. and that is really the revelation that I had when I was in my season of nobody's noticing what I'm doing and, and man, it's yeah. so hard. And, and, um, well, talk, talking about trust, I'll be candid here, you know, in a previous ministry assignment, not where I'm at right now, it was, I was right. kind of the only female staffer and, um, mm -hmm. and, and I was very reluctant to accept God's, uh, calling in, in, mm -hmm. in the communication arena in my life, it, it wasn't what I thought I would be doing. You know, I was more academic. And so I thought the way I would be a missionary is to, you know, come and serve with you <laughs> in Madagascar yeah. for a week and, and help <laughs> figure out how to run some drug trials for, you know, yeah. some uh, arcane fungal disease. You know what I mean? And, and that's the, right. The way God called me was not even, he didn't even tell me first that, hey, I'm going to call you to be a communicator. He said that to my husband. And then when he yeah. shared it with me, I was a very reluctant 
adopter of that, you know, I usually am. Hmm. When God says something, I'm like, okay, is that you or is that just a bad cheeseburger I ate yesterday? You know, just kind of think about it that yeah. way. But once I got a hold of what it was, I was like a dog with a bone. You know, I wanted to make it happen. I was hmm. like, okay, whatever he says, you know. So I took that, I, I obeyed God, but I took obedience to a different level that was more, that would more fan the flames of pride than really stay in the lane of what God asked me to do. I've been recently reading Daniel and kind of going through just a little bit at a time just to kind of immerse myself in, in that portion of scripture. And I noticed something about Nebuchadnezzar, you know, he makes that giant idol. And I got to wondering, where did you get the idea to put this enormous idol in the middle of Dura in Babylon? Like that doesn't make any sense. Like, yeah. where, where did you have that idea? In the previous scriptures, he, of course, sees a vision or a dream of this huge uh, statue that has multiple different materials in it, you know, gold, bronze, iron, clay, so on and so forth. Right. And when Daniel interprets that uh, dream for Nebuchadnezzar, he tells him that he, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, is the head made out of gold. And there's all this interpretation that comes along with it. Fast forward a decade later or so, he's here building this idol out of gold. So it's that prophetic word yeah. that God had given him is what promoted him to idol worship in a way. You know what I mean? Mm. And he took that word that, hey, you are that gold head. And he kind of wanted to see it in front of him. And it wasn't happening mm. soon enough or in the way that he thought it would. So he planted himself an idol. That is a huge mm. mistake I saw myself making as a young minister. And I see other ministers making that, that when we see God not moving, we want to go erect our own idols in the plain of Dura, you know? And I can't, mm. God can't bless that. It's just, it's just not possible. He cannot bless self-elevation or self-promotion. And there is yeah. no other, no two ways about it. You know, he just can't bless it. And yeah. those were lessons learned painfully in, the, in that season of my yeah. life where I was in a, in a cohort of men leaders and I was the only female leader. And while I was being promoted academically in, and I was pursuing my PhD, it's a story for another day during that time in biochemistry and I was promote, being promoted academically and being noticed for my communication skills academically, but on the flip side in the church, that was not the case. And hmm. I, I remember praying and asking the Lord going like, I just don't understand. Like, why would you call me to this and not give me any opportunity hmm. to do this? And yeah. I, I had all these ideas on like how to eloquently state my case before my brothers so that I may have opportunity. You know? <laughs> and, um, and, I would never forget this day. There was a time when I was during my prayer time, I was just crying my heart out to the Lord. And, and he just said, Cynthia, I've called you to tell people about me. You've got two options. Mm. You can go tell people about your right to minister, or you can go tell people about me, but you can't do both. Mm -hmm. and wow. That's a good word. I just sat there and I said, wow. Okay. And of course, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to do both. I want to Right, for my ride. Sure. And during That's that right. season, God just started showing me scripture after scripture of how he never asked us to fend for our own rights. You know, it's my, <laughs> my job to fend for the rights of my brothers and sisters, and it's their job to stand up for me. It's it's not, I'll stand mm. up for myself, you know. A and there was just a comfort that washed over me that he still called me, that he still yeah. assigned me this job. But the way I think the job is going to be is different than what I had previously imagined. In other words, he just yeah. kind of comforted my heart and said, if I put two people in front of you, you're going to speak truth the same way as if I put 2,000 people in front of you. Yes, I've called you to communicate wow. the gospel. It could be your, at that point, three-year-old child, or right. it could be a 
18 year old college student, or it could yeah. be a senior saint in the church. It, the message does not change. You know, you, you go and present hmm. it. So I think we should, and this is kind of what I was alluding to earlier. We get so worried about the methodology and how God's going to make it happen in my ministry to go forward. And we forget that this is supposed to be a, you know, a slow dance with the father, you know what I mean? And, and yeah. that's the joy of ministry. And if we lose that, we get all the, we're, we're playing right in the enemy's hands. We get in the space of anxiety. We get in the space of comparison. We, we get in the space of ambition, you know, selfish ambition. And we might package it as something else, but let's be honest. That's really what it is. You yeah. know? And so yeah. uh, while I'm not saying that we don't need advocates for women in ministry, I think it's so important. And God assigns people to that. I'm just not one of those people, you know. I will always fight for my sisters in ministry just as much as I'm going to fight for my brothers in ministry. In fact, right now, I feel like in the United States, we're creating a whole another wounded people group. And I'm noticing this in our college students, young men who are, um, you know, from a wide background right now, because all the arrows are pointed at them as the perpetrator of racism and sexism. And honestly, you know, I have this, you know, fierce, uh, protectiveness about this generation because I feel like they're my kids. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so when yeah. some of our, uh, some of my spiritual sons struggle with that and, and they are, yeah. you know, wondering, oh my goodness, Cynthia, do I do this? And I am going, no, you don't, you don't do that. You, you, you yeah. know better. Yeah. You don't do that. And, and it'd be better if we did not create that wounded generation. I also think the key, uh, kingdom is a kingdom of honor. And previously alluded to this, you know, leadership is temporary all leadership is temporary you know we're gonna move on from Mm. this side of the planet to uh, eternity one day and leadership is going to be temporary even if we lead all the way till our last minute it's going to be temporary but servanthood is permanent god assigned servanthood to jesus and jesus never graduated from being a servant all the way up until he went to the cross he still served us so why would I think as a, you know, minister of that very same gospel that I'm going to graduate from servanthood, you know? So yeah, that's good. Really, that's the highest ambition we should have. Like, what should I be doing to serve the people around me? And when we take that attitude, you cannot keep opportunity away because God blesses. Yeah. It's, 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 we're not doing it for the opportunity, but, but that's who God blesses, you know, it's in the other thing that I, I took comfort in do, during those times, it's just the number of examples from scripture where people that were in the backside of you know mountains like david that ended up in you know king's castles how did that happen you know yeah esther who is you know just a country girl and 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 there she is as a princess when she needs to be you've got jacob you know out there doing his thing and he gets to be a uh, father of this whole nation you know and and so your obscurity is not a challenge for the lord you know he's Mm. He intentionally puts you there. In fact, he hides yeah. people specifically so that they can grow in him and learn to love him more than they will love the applause. And wow. so those seasons, those what, what, I, what I would call as the wilderness seasons in retrospect, they are all meant for the word of the Lord coming to you in that time. You know, you see uh, John the Baptist when he was in the wilderness, you see how there's Herod the Tetrarch and all these people, kings and, and all these spiritual leaders in the New Testament. And the word of the Lord did not go to any of those people, but the word of the Lord went to John the Baptist in the wilderness. So the word of the Lord is hmm. freely available to us in the wilderness. We should kind of keep our ears peeled when we're going through the season and, and thank God yeah. for this refining experience. Because we don't ever want to get to a place to where some position or some speaking engagement or anything else is 
of more value than who God is to us. And I say, especially to women communicators who tell me, Cynthia, I have no opportunity to uh, share the gospel with someone or, or speak in front of someone. Some of my original messages were delivered to my four-year-old while I was teaching him things yeah. from the Bible, you know, and, and I had yeah. to figure out how to bring it down to his level, but not compromise the truth that God was mm. sharing. And, and I still use some of those tools to this day. It's, it's really yeah. not about who is in front of you. It's, it's more about who is above you in ministry. I mean, that's the Lord, you mm. know, who, who kind of is directly directing you in that path. That's awesome. That's awesome. Cynthia, will you pray for us today? We pray for the audience um, in whatever way God directs you, but just pray that God will use this conversation that we've had to help provide clarity for people that maybe they're in a wilderness season. Maybe they're, maybe they're, their opportunities are, they have many of them today, but pray for each of us that we will take the principles that you shared about mentorship, resiliency, courage, hearing God's voice, and, um, and focusing our identity on Jesus uh, more than our ambition or, or our name. Awesome. Father, we come before you, God, that you, Lord, would take these meager offerings of everything that we've talked about today, Lord, and that you will multiply in the hearts of the men and women that hear this podcast. And, and Father, would you bless your servants? And, and God, would you draw us more closer to you into an intimate relationship? God, I also pray, God, that, that you allow for um, us to grow in you in greater ways than we have ever grown before. And, and God, thank you for giving this powerful gospel to simple people like me and, and letting me loose in the world with this. And, and God, we're so thankful for all of the mercy and goodness that goes before us, even in the preparation, Lord, of our calling. And God, I specifically pray for the moms of young children right now that are sitting at homes that, that have the call of God just burning in their hearts, but, but aren't able to do anything with it or, or seemingly unable to do anything with it. And, and God, would you come to them, Lord, in the quiet times or or even in the middle of the busyness, Jesus, and craft a path before them, God. Let them see, Lord, that, that you are a God who honors obedience. And, and Father, as they are discipling their first disciples, their own children, Jesus, just pray, God, that they'll be able to see that map in front of them, Lord, that, that path that you're creating for their ministry and for their life. God, I pray for fruitfulness, God. And, and, and I pray, God, that you will allow for us to abide in you so close, Jesus, that, that we bear more fruit than any other season in our lives in this season. And, and Jesus, I just pray, God, that you'll protect your servants that are serving in, in Africa. And, and God, that you'll put a hedge of protection around them with your blood. God, I plead your blood over them. Father, I'm so grateful, Lord, that even today, men and women obey you and, and go and spread the gospel all over the world. God, I'm so grateful that someone like them came to my country and, and came to my village at some point. God, I'm eternally grateful for that person whose face I will never see on this side of eternity. But God, I'm so grateful for them. Father, I just pray, God, that those missionaries that are hearing this podcast, that are listening to this in obscure places will remember that they are doing this for your renown, Jesus, that one day in heaven they will meet, even if today seems fruitless, God, one day in heaven they will meet the people that are fruit of their ministry. And because they're faithfully sowing, even with tears in the season, God, that you will give them an increase. God, I bless them in your name. Lord, that let every word that we spoke together today that is of you stay in their hearts and all other words fall away. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name.